I figured since Scott got to show you a picture of his kids, I would get, I would put up a picture of my family and my kids too. So this is my family. My lovely wife Velvet is right over there actually. And we have three kids and it's kind of dark, but Kaya there is the youngest on the right. She's hiding in the shadows and then Asher's in the middle. And then our daughter Brielle there. And then we have one more on the way. And so they're all really fun. I'm sure you've seen them running around because sometimes they run outside in the hallways and we lose track of them. I will freely admit to that. But I want to show you a couple other pictures because uh, this really cool thing happened this week. So my wife was at Costco and she's amazing because she'll take three kids with her grocery shopping. Anybody that has a few kids knows it's it's like it's a chore to take all three kids. And so my daughter Kaya falls asleep and she's just hanging out of the cart. And thankfully, my wife is awesome, and she takes a picture before she pushes her back in. <laughs> but eventually, she pushes my daughter back in, right into my son, Asher. And Asher, my son, loves my daughter, Kaya, wants to give her hugs and love on her. And my daughter, Kaya, well, she likes Asher and tolerates it for a while. So this was a real treat for him to be able to kind of snuggle with his sister a little bit. And as you see, they're about to walk out, into, out, of, out of Costco. And so they walk out of Costco, and Asher all of a sudden puts his head down over Kaya and wraps his arms around her. And Velvet says, Asher, what are you doing? And he says, I'm keeping Kaya safe from the cold. And everybody says, aw. And the reason I want to share that is this. When Velvet was telling me this story, I was reminded of this verse, and it was out of Psalm 121. And it says this in Psalm 121, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. And when I thought when I heard of Asher like covering Kaya, I thought, that's kind of how the Lord is with us. He acts as the shade at our right hand. And the next verse is this, the shade at our right hand is so that the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. And here in Michigan, it might be so that the cold winds don't strike you when you walk out of Costco, right? <laughs> but this is who our God is. He's the shade at our right hand, so that the sun shall not strike you by night, nor the, or the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. But the Lord, and this is what I felt like the Lord was saying to some of us here, the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And I felt like that was a word for somebody here in this room. I don't know who it's for, but I believe that the Lord wants to tell you that he is here to preserve your coming, your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And so if that's for you, please receive that, because that has absolutely nothing to do with the message that I'm about to share with you today. <laughs> what I want to share with you today is this. It's, about, it's continuing in our series that we've been on called End Times, the End Times uh, Revival. And the title of this message is Teaching, Preaching, and Healing. Teaching, Preaching, and Healing. Can we all say that together? Teaching, Preaching, and Healing. And I want us to turn our Bibles to Matthew 4, verse 23. Or you can look up at the screen because we're going to put it up here on the screen. Matthew 4, verse 23. And what I want us to do is to look up at the screen right here and let's all read this together. Ready? Get set, go. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So, during Jesus' ministry, what he was doing was he was teaching, he was preaching, and he was healing. And this is what he was called to do. In Luke, Jesus himself gets up in the synagogue 
and he makes this declaration about what his ministry is going to look like here on earth. And Luke 4 verse 18 says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Teaching and preaching. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Healing. To proclaim. Proclaiming is preaching. Liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind. Healing again. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So, Jesus himself says, my ministry while I'm walking around on, the, on this earth here is to teach, to preach, and to heal. But what is it whenever we think about the ministry of Jesus that quickly comes to mind? It's all the miracles, right? It's the healings that he performs. It's how Jesus opens up the eyes of the blind, how he opens up the ears of the deaf person, how he opens up the mouth of the mute, how he causes the dead to be raised again, how he causes the people that are demon-oppressed, to be completely set free. It's all the miracles that we remember. But when Jesus talks about his ministry, it's all about teaching, preaching, and healing. And so what I want to point out to you today, what I want to share with you today, is that while the miraculous things, the supernatural things that Jesus did here on earth, the healings are the things that we remember, the other really important thing that he did so that people could be healed is he was teaching and preaching. And let me give this really quick definition of the difference between teaching and preaching. Preaching is a proclamation. It's letting somebody know something that they don't already know. And teaching is explanation. It's explaining something that somebody may not understand. And I like to work with examples because sometimes it's easier to just understand what those things are. So for example, if if somebody's going to get up and preach and tell you something you don't know, uh, it could be something like this. Let's say somebody doesn't know anything about God. They um, maybe live in a foreign country that hasn't had the privilege of having the word of God taught to them. And so when somebody tells them, there is a God that loves you, and he sent his son to save you, and the Bible says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he saved, sent his only son to die for you, and whoever believes in him would be saved. That is preaching. It's telling somebody that doesn't know anything about Jesus that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And it, it could also be preaching if somebody has this misconception of who God is. Many people have this conception, perceive God to be an angry God. We even call things like earthquakes, um, hurricanes, really cold winds that'll knock things over. We call those things, what? Acts of God, Right? Because we have this perception in our mind that God wants to push us down. He wants to beat us over the head. But that's not the reality of who God is. You know who our God is? Our God is a God that loves us so much that he sends his son to die on the cross for us and to save us of our sins. And so when people learn these things for the very first time, that's us preaching to them. Another thing that somebody might preach is that uh, there is a God that wants to heal you. God in Exodus Verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 26, calls himself the God who heals. He says, I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought to the Egyptians, for I am the God who heals you. In Exodus 23, he says, I am going to bless your bread and your water, and I am going to remove sickness from the midst of you. In a prophetic verse uh, in Isaiah, Jesus, it talks about how by the stripes of Jesus, you are already healed. In Malachi, it talks about how Jesus is, or Jesus is going to come with healing in his wings, and he's going to remove this sickness and this disease from the midst of us. For somebody that doesn't know that God wants to heal them, this is 
telling them that God wants to heal you. He is a God that wants to remove sickness from the midst of you. He's a God that wants to have you whole in your body, whole in your mind. Somebody might not know that God wants to set them free from a bondage to pornography or a bondage to alcoholism or a bondage to food or a bondage to um, uh, stealing and lying and cheating to get ahead. But God wants to set them free from those things. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 17 says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom where the Spirit of the Lord is. And God has put His Spirit inside of us. So when we become believers, you have the ability to become completely free from those bondages. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that uh, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You have become a new creation in Christ Jesus when you, be, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And the old things that are holding you back, that have kept you in bondage, that have prevented you from doing all the things that the Lord has called you to do, or the things that are preventing you from living a good life, God is, set, God is setting you free from those things that are holding you back. But until somebody comes and preaches and teaches and tells you, this is how it is, how are you going to know? How are you going to know that there is a God who is the creator of the universe that wants to make a good life for you? And that's why preaching is so important. But there's also the other side of the coin. There's teaching. Teaching is the explanation of the things that I'm preaching to you right now. And for some of us that are super analytical, they'll be like, but does God really want to do it? Like, prove to me. Show me in the Bible that that's really what God wants to do. Or show me historically that this is what God wants me to do. Or explain to me what it means to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. These are things that need to be explained to people that are analytical. And some people, just hearing that fact builds faith inside of them. But for some people, you really have to explain what does it mean to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. Well, to be a new creation in Christ Jesus means that when you're when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you believe that he has forgiven you of your sins, your spirit is completely transformed and made new again. And that is the new creation that's happening in your body. What happens is that you become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And we have these classes, discipleship classes, called Operation Solid Lives, OSL, that take you step by step over a course of several weeks, teaching you what it means to be the righteousness of God, explaining from the Bible why God can say, I'm a God that's going to heal you, and why it's going to happen. And it's because of this covenant that we have with our God. But it takes some explanation, much more, and it's going to take a lot more time than I have here to stand up here and tell you why this covenant we have with God is a good covenant and why he's going to be faithful to his promises. But let me tell you, it's a true thing. And if you want to take OSL levels 1, 2, 3, or 4, or 5, Hey, let me know, because I oversee our OSL discipleship program here at our Kalamazoo campus. So I would love to be able to take you through those things and uh, have you be taught the truths of the, the word of the Lord. But that's why it's important, for, but it's important for preaching and teaching to go hand in hand. Because as I say these things and as they're explaining to people, faith begins to rise up inside somebody, and uh, faith will cause healing to happen in some people. And one of the things I want to do today is look at how Jesus used teaching and preaching and healing in his early ministry. So from the time that Jesus starts his ministry, or, or yeah, from the time that Jesus starts his ministry at the very beginning, I want us to look at a little chronological timeline. And sometimes it's hard for us to picture these things, so I, I made a little 
like one, two, three, four, five, some highlights of what happens in Jesus' very early ministry. Because at some point, Jesus has to start his ministry, right? He has to go from zero to something. And so let's like, take this little quick chronological journey of what happens uh, during Jesus' start of his ministry. So the very first thing that happens when Jesus, before, when Jesus starts his ministry he, is he goes down to the Jordan River, and he goes to his cousin, John the Baptist, who's baptizing people in the Jordan River. And he gets baptized by John. And during that baptism of, by water, the Holy Spirit descends in a bodily form like a dove onto Jesus. And he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And after this, he goes into the wilderness and is tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. But right after this, he, we find Jesus in John chapter 3, in Jerusalem, and he's there to celebrate the Passover feast. And he meets with one of the Jewish rulers there. And I want, to read, um, I want to share with you that the ruler he met with is Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews, and so he really knew the scriptures in and out. And he comes to Jesus at night, and he says, Jesus, we know that you are a teacher of God. So what does that tell me that Jesus was doing while he was in Jerusalem at this feast? He was teaching, right? He was teaching people in Jerusalem, and he had earned this reputation that a Jewish ruler comes to him and says, Jesus, we know that you are a teacher. And uh, Jesus replies and says, yeah, and this is what you need to know, Nicodemus. You need to know that you need to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what does that even mean? What does it mean to be born again? Does that mean I need to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replies, no, that's not what it means. What you really need to do to be born again into the kingdom of God is this famous verse, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is the John 3.16 passage that we all know, and it's Jesus teaching Nicodemus about how to be born again into the kingdom of God. After Jesus spends some time in Jerusalem, a little bit later, he goes north, and goes up to a place called Samaria. And in Samaria, he runs into this woman. And it's this woman at the well story that some of us have heard. And he tells her some things that she's done, that she's had multiple husbands. And he begins to tell her some things. And the things that he begins to tell her are this. Uh, Verse 23 says this, But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. He's telling her things that, that she doesn't know. He's telling her that true worshipers are going to worship God in spirit and in truth. And the woman replies and says, I know that Messiah, who is called the Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he's going to tell us these things. And then Jesus makes this declaration. I, who, you, who speak to you, am he. I am the Messiah that is going to say these things. And so what is he doing there? He's preaching. And then, right after this, just a few short days later, we have Jesus' very first healing. Isn't it interesting that the first recorded healing that Jesus performs is after the teaching and the preaching? And let me read a couple of verses of what this healing looked like. And it says this in John chapter 4, verse 46. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. 
and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Capernaum is about a day's journey from Cana of Galilee where Jesus was. And so this man walks about a day because his son is sick. And it says in verse 47, uh, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored to him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. He had heard the things that Jesus had been teaching in Jerusalem, and he'd heard the things that he had been teaching, preaching in Samaria, and he believed that Jesus was somebody that, if, uh, if he was the Messiah, could come and heal his son. And he implores Jesus, Jesus, come down and come heal my son. And Jesus says to him, go your way, your son lives. And at this point, this man has this decision to make. Am I going to try to drag Jesus down with me? Or am I just going to believe him? And you know what he does? He believes him. And it says, so the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servant met him and told him, your son lives. But it was because of the teaching and the preaching that happened that the faith of this man was built up that he could take Jesus at his word. He didn't have to have Jesus lay hands on him. He didn't have to have Jesus come down all the way to Capernaum. All he had to do was say, okay, I'm going to take you at your word, Jesus. If you say it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And he did it. And what happens? His son gets completely healed. But it's a result of the teaching and the preaching that is happening inside of people. And this teaching and preaching is causing faith to rise up in people and many times in Jesus' ministry, we see that faith plays such an important part into being healed. This is a story, um, there's a story in Matthew 9, verse 27, that talks about how Jesus heals two blind men. And it says there, When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord, we believe. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be done to you. So it was their faith that made their healing possible. Another story is uh, in Mark chapter 5, verse 34, and it says, it's in, in this story, it's this woman with a flow of blood. She has, she's had this infirmity, this sickness in her body for about 18 years, and she's constantly bleeding. And she has this belief that if I can simply touch the hem of Jesus' robe, I'm going to be healed. And so she pushes through the crowd where Jesus is, and she grabs his robe, and instantly she's healed. Well, I should say, instantly power flows out from Jesus, and Jesus feels this power flowing out from him. And he turns around and he looks around and he says, who touched me? Because he feels this power going out of him. And this woman comes up and says, Lord, it was me, and here's my story. I've been sick for these years, and this is Jesus' response to her. And he says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So it's because of her faith that she's healed. And it's because of the teaching and preaching that I'm sure she heard all around that her faith was built up. And so this is the mandate, or this is the assignment that was given to Jesus to teach, to preach, and to heal. And this is the same mandate that's given to us. It's not just Jesus that was supposed to do these things. We're supposed to do it too. 
And it's actually Jesus' very last assignment that he gives to everybody that's there when, right before he ascends into heaven. And it's called, commonly, the Great Commission. And there's, there's two different accounts, two different perspectives of the Great Commission written by two different authors of the Gospels. Matthew and Mark have these two different perspectives. And I want to read both of them to you about the Great Commission. And it says this in Matthew chapter 9. When Jesus departed from there, oh, sorry, Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, and it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. So, Jesus, so from Matthew's perspective, Jesus says to the disciples as before he leaves, Go and make disciples of all the nations and teach them. Explain to them these things. And then Mark chapter 16 says this, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. They're going to be healed. So when you look at those two passages of the Great Commission side by side, we have this full picture of Jesus' ministry, teaching, preaching, and healing. And this Great Commission is what we're supposed to be doing, right? This is what needs to be happening in our lives. We need to be teaching, we need to be preaching, and we need to be healing. And Jesus had already been doing that, or telling people that they needed to be doing that during his ministry. Uh, In Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out his 12 disciples, and this is the instructions that he gives them. He calls his 12 disciples together and gives them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And then he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And they did nothing. Nope, that's not what happened. What do they do? Verse 6 says this, So they all departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They listened to what Jesus told them to do. Uh, One chapter later, Jesus calls 70 others, and he appoints them, and he says this, uh, and this is what he does. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Whatever city you enter, uh, you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you, and heal the sick there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Preach to them. And then a little bit later, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, it all happened just like you said it was going to happen. We taught and we preached, and even the demons are subject to us. People got healed. People got set free because they obeyed the word of the Lord to go and start to teach, to preach, and to heal. And this is what we need to do. This isn't just for the biblical times 2,000 years ago. No, this is for us right now. This is the end time revival that we're in right now. And we should not miss out on this opportunity to begin to preach, to teach, and to heal. I have this story that I want to share with you about someone I know in California. And uh, this actually happened a little over a week ago. And this is somebody that is following the word of the Lord to preach, to teach, and to heal. But he's not a pastor. He's not an evangelist. He's not some missionary. He's a normal guy, just like you and me. He has a normal job. He paints 
uh, and restores these beautiful doors of hotels and it's brought him to like Hawaii and Laguna Beach and all these beautiful hotels and he restores these doors. And so this is what he does for his full-time job, his normal nine to five. But he also has this side hustle and it's preaching and teaching and healing. And so I want to share this story with you because this happened just a week ago. And this is a story. And this is his word saying it. While waiting with a group of friends at Mustard Market, we met this couple pushing and leaning on this wheelchair as if this man was in pain and this was a walker support. And I actually have his picture here. When asking him and his wife about this and issues of pain, they opened up hungry for healing prayer. He was in tremendous pain in his leg and knee. He pulls up his pant leg to show how swollen his calf was and explained that his leg and knee was shot. Taking out his knee, uh, taking out his knee, and he had had major surgery. And he has a fake knee inside, and he's missing veins and reconstruction to artery and muscles. And then the Holy Spirit um, shows me some pain in his shoulder that causes issues and pain to his arms and hands, which he confirmed. He told me that where my hand was on his shoulder, uh, there was still a bullet inside of his shoulder. His back and other pain issues were also discussed, along with his wife's pain issues in her foot and ankle. And our group prays, and the glory of God encounters them both. He says that he feels heat like electricity in his body as we prayed. Not only does his chronic pain leave along with his wife, but he lifts his leg high, and something that he could not do before, and he walks pain-free. As he walks on the sidewalk, a friend passed by with a bike, and he was so excited that he gets on his bike to try to ride it. This is what happens when somebody is open to the Holy Spirit and begins to preach and to teach and to heal. This guy's life is never going to be the same again because somebody took some time to preach, to teach, to heal. And it wasn't some pastor. It wasn't some full-time minister of the Word of God. No, it was a normal person just like you and me with a normal job, just like you and me. By the way, I work a normal job. I'm not on staff at the church. I write software about 40 hours a week, probably more than that, actually. But that's what I do. I have a normal job, just like all the rest of you. And, so this, is, but, and this is the life that God wants us to live. He doesn't want us to live a life of just going and doing the normal thing every single day. He wants us to live a life of preaching, teaching, and healing. And he wants us to be able to see the miraculous happen in our lives. And some of you might be excited to be like, yeah, I'm all in. I want to do the preaching. I want to do the teaching. And I want to do the healing. But what do I do? Like, where do I start? Well, let's look at what did Jesus do? What was the first thing that he did? If we look at this timeline that I have again, uh, the very first thing is this. Number one, he was baptized and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's because it's the power of the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do these things. The teaching and preaching that you may say or that you may tell somebody is not as effective as if, uh, um, as if you, uh, unless it would, it's significantly more effective if you have the Holy Spirit backing those words. You could say the same words over and over and over again, and then when the Holy Spirit comes into that picture, you know what happens? It gets turbocharged. It gets supernatural power from the Most High God to carry those words that you say into the hearts and to the minds 
of the people that are all around you. And this happened in the very beginning of the book of Acts. And what happens is this. Jesus, after he ascends to the Father, tells the, tells the disciples, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And then in Acts chapter 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each other. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit, as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were all filled and they were empowered by the Spirit of God. And then Peter stands up in front of everyone and he begins to preach and he begins to teach. And people all around him get, begin to be cut to the heart because of the words that he's preaching and he's teaching and the power of the Holy Spirit that is driving it into the hearts of the people all around him. And you know that day, 3,000 people were added to the church because of the preaching and the teaching and the power of the Holy Spirit that was happening in Peter's life. And just a little bit later, Peter and John go to the temple and they see a, a layman there and, they say, and he's begging for alms and, he's, and they say to him, silver and gold we don't have, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And that person stood up. He had never walked before in his life, but he stood up and walked. There was teaching, there was preaching, and there was healing happening right then and there. And after this, we find that 5,000 believers are now a part of the, a part of the church. And it's because they had opened themselves up to the, be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they would opened themselves up and taken that step of teaching and preaching and healing. And that's exactly what we need to be doing in our day-to-day lives. I want to share this story with you about somebody I met with several months ago. And uh, I'd been getting to know this person, and he called me out of the blue one day. And he said, hey, I just lost my job. And I'm, I'm really frustrated right now. And so I immediately sent him a text back, and he said, and I said, hey, let's go meet for coffee. So I met with him later that day. And I said, he, he was venting to me, really frustrated, and I noticed that he had a bandage on his hand. And I asked him, hey, what's going on with your hand? And he said, I was just so angry and so frustrated, I punched this piece of glass. And he told me, yeah, I've, I've really been struggling with anger, and he'd mentioned this to me several times before, that I've been struggling with anger, and it just, when something goes wrong, I just get so angry and frustrated. He was bound with this spirit of anger. And I said to him, um, well, I, I understand that this is a really terrible situation, and I completely empathize with you, but I've been in situations like this before, and something that really helped to change my life is, to, is something called Operation Solid Lives. And during the darkest, one of the darkest points in my life, I took this class, Operation Solid Lives, and it taught me about the truths of the kingdom of God. And I said, hey, do you want to take it with me? And we took it together. I, I took him through Operation Solid Lives, and in Operation Solid Lives, you, you know what happens? You get taught the Word of God. You get preached to a lot. And the Word of God begins to fill your heart, and teaching and preaching happens. And he received this teaching and preaching, and he started to read his Bible on a regular basis. And a few weeks later, he told me he got a job. He got a job offer, I should say. And as we continue on with this class, it's her, he, this job offer he got calls him back and says, hey, we noticed that there's a problem with your work status. And he's like, well, that's really funny. And they said, yeah, according to Social Security, you're not allowed to work here. 
He's like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm a U.S. citizen. Like, what's going on? And uh, then he has this reaction. I'm not, this reaction is, I'm not going to be annoyed by this. I'm not going to get angry about this. I'm a, I know my God's going to take care of me. And so he prays about it. And he believes, Lord, I believe you're going to take care of me. And he goes to Social Security the next day and gets it completely ironed out. But can you notice the difference? He didn't get angry about it. He turned to the God that he knew was going to take care of him. And he learned that because of the teaching and preaching that was happening in OSL. I just had to make myself available to take him through OSL. I just had to make myself available to be okay to teach and preach to him. Me, this normal guy that writes software most of the time, I was open to having, to using, to teaching and preaching to this guy. And it wasn't even all my teaching and preaching. It was mostly Pastor Jerry teaching and preaching. But the teaching and preaching of the Word of God caused healing to happen and freedom from this issue of anger that he had. And so this is what needs to happen in our lives. This is, this is what our normal Christian lives should look like on a day-to-day basis. We need to be teaching and preaching to people all around us. Because there's people that don't know the love of God. And there's people that don't understand that our God wants to take care of them. And, it's, and we have all these relationships with people. And we have a choice. Are we going to tell them about the love of God? Are we going to teach and preach to them? Or are we just going to let them not hear about the good things that God has done for them? And so, you might be like, that's all great, but what if I get rejected? Like, that's, rejection's a big thing. I don't, I want to, I'm going to teach and preach, and some people, they're going to be like, yeah, get out of here, you're, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know how this stuff works. I don't want to listen to you. And that's a very valid fear. Like, I was scared about, <laughs> how is this guy going to react to me when I <laughs> tell him? But... I want to share with you another story about it. another uh, young man that grew up a long time ago. And he, um, <clears throat> he grew up in the same town and knew all the same people. And this town was a really small town. And if you think Kalamazoo is small, this is like tiny. This was like around 400 people that lived in this town. And all these people went to the same church. They went to the same schools. They all knew each other. And they would ask each other as they would pass by, hey, am I going to see you in church on Sunday? And they're like, and everyone's like, yeah, we're going to see you in church on Sunday. And this young man was, he was a, he was a good boy. And some other parents would say to their kids, you should be more like him. You should be more like him. And he lives his whole life in this town. And in his late 20s, early 30s, he leaves this town. And he goes and does a few other things. And he, he comes back a few months later. And then I want to pick up the story in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Because this young man that I was talking about is actually Jesus. And this is what happens when he comes back to Nazareth after he gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it says this, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has 
anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He was preaching and he was teaching to them. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And then they said, Isn't this Joseph's son? Like, I know him. I grew up with him. I went to church with him on Sundays. I went to synagogue with him on Sundays. Does he really know what he's talking about? No, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And it says later, the place uh, that they're filled with wrath and they thrust him out of the city. So if you're worried about rejection, you know what happened to Jesus when he came back home and started to preach and teach? He got rejected too. He got rejected too. But you know what he does in response to this rejection? Verse 31 says that he starts to preach and to teach again. He didn't let that rejection stop him. He didn't let that feeling of getting pushed down and not being believed stop him. No, he just pushed through. And he said, no, the message that I have for you, the message that I have to share is much more important than me feeling like I got rejected right now. And there's people all around us that need to hear this message. And we need to be okay with being rejected sometimes sometimes people are not ready to receive it. But we need to open up our hearts to be able to push through because our Savior, our Jesus, was rejected. And he pushed through anyway. And you and I wouldn't be here right now if he didn't push through and keep preaching and teaching and healing. 